0: Hello, and welcome to Red Beans and Advice, a production of Sheck Snyder Wealth Advisors. My name is Katie Hayne, an account executive. My name is Jesse Duhon. I'm a financial advisor. My name is Nolan Sheck Snyder.
1: I'm the founder and senior financial advisor.
0: Welcome to a special segment of Red Beans and Advice being recorded in Laplace, Louisiana. As you may be experiencing, or at least have heard of, Laplace very strongly hit by Hurricane Ida and the impacts of it. So right now we're going to spend some time. Nolan's here with me, and we're going to talk about uh, disaster recovery in general, specific to maybe how it's playing out for a lot of people in the town of Laplace and the surrounding areas and everything they're going through. Nolan's lived in Laplace or worked in Laplace his entire life, and he even lives now in St. Charles Parish, which. Didn't escape Ida either. It just didn't get the eyewall for as long as Laplace did. Nolan, how you doing today? And first question, have you ever seen something like this, this level of destruction, disruption after a storm or after, after a major event to this area before?
1: Generally, I'm doing pretty well, Jesse. The closest... In my memory, the most direct hit locally was Hurricane Betsy, which was in the early 60s, and New Orleans missed this area. Uh, we were the first area that didn't have destruction from Katrina, so it was a direct hit The eye went over the center of Laplace and Destrehan, where I live, kind of got the worst quadrant of the storm went over it without the eyewall going over it.
0: And being from the area, having seen, regardless of what level, and regardless of if it hit your town the story is always the same the real work is always to be done sort of after after lives are saved and people are evacuated there's always this this whole movement of okay we got to pick up the pieces we got to sort through all of the things that come with it and right now a lot of people are dealing with all the business of it the insurance claims you know assessing the things on your home dealing with government agencies that are there to assist you and help you and it could be what feels like the worst time where you're possessed are scattered or lost. You, you might be scattered or lost yourself physically somewhere, and you got to deal with all of these things. So what, what kind of things can people know about insurance, government agencies? How do they navigate this? Are there any good advice, having been here for so long, that people should follow or listen to? What, what do they need to know about all of this, Nolan?
1: Well, in any federally declared disaster, FEMA comes into play, whether it's a hurricane or a tornado, the fires in California. Whenever it's declared a federally declared disaster area, certain resources come out by the federal government. Most of those resources generally help people that are not financially stable and are not maybe properly insured. Now's the time when you have a disaster, you end up finding out whether or not you have appropriate coverage. Unfortunately, it's the worst time to be finding that out. Those locally, because our state has been hit by a number of hurricanes over my lifetime, they have a additional deductible, a named storm deductible, which is generally somewhere between two and five percent of the value of the property you have covered. Stepwise to make claims, most people generally contact their insurance agents. Virtually every insurance agent then gives you an eight hundred number to call. Most large insurance carriers have disaster-specific hotlines, so to speak. Many of the very large companies like uh, Allstate and State Farm have actually set up claim centers in the parking lots of like Home Depots and stuff like that to become more accessible. All of the insurance companies, because disasters are random, they do not have the people on staff generally to handle a disaster from an evaluation perspective. So most of the large companies have independent adjusters that come out and evaluate your loss. And because it was a name stormed in our specific example, the larger deductible would, uh, would apply.
0: So, and people are dealing with insurance. So it sounds like there's steps to, uh, there's always a starting step, right? You contact your guy they start a process someone comes out assesses the damage the world's not perfect and in chaotic matters like this it's a little less perfect so things don't always necessarily agree to you know amounts like how much you're going to need to replace the things that were damaged the things that are necessary for your house the things that were insured so if someone in their dealings with the insurance company let's say they come someone comes assess the damage and then they think Well, my own opinion is that's not enough to cover it, or maybe even you go to hire a contractor to do the work and they say that's not enough, that I'm not going to be able to do the repairs for that cost. In that stage of the game, what does... A person in that situation need to know? What, what's their moves? What can they do if they don't agree with the insurance's supposed amount for reimbursement or, or for the repairs? What, what can they do at that point?
1: You can submit additional information to the insurance company. You have a contract with them to provide coverage in the event of certain Issues and you're supposed, you know, depending on the type of insurance you have. If you have a reimbursement insurance or rebuild insurance, there'll be different treatment. But it, but you're not required to accept their valuation. You can accept the payments they're making. Just don't sign off. I finally agree on everything. Each insurance company will have a method of appealing. I personally had experience on a claim probably 15 years ago. Related to hail damage, they appointed an additional inspector. He's, he again sided with the insurance company. I eventually went to binding arbitration, and after about a year, I won the case, and the insurance company paid the claim immediately, although I had to fight for it a year, they paid the claim and they did not do anything to cancel my insurance or or raise it. It was a difference of opinion. It's a contract. So it's simply contract law. If you disagree, you're not required to accept it. You can go through a process with your insurance company to argue
0: it. You mentioned something there about not accepting it. So is there a chance or is it in all likelihood (laughs) that you know, what stage is the person accepting it, right? Like someone's come out, uh, insurance company gets there, Contractors report, and this is what they're willing to offer, and they mail a check to the client. Is it a situation where, as soon as that check is cashed, that signifies that yes, you have agreed to this amount, or maybe is that a gray area? Is there something they should read about first? What what should they do if they're suspecting something may be off here, and I've got a check in the mail or money's been deposited into my bank account? Is there anything that they need to do at that stage, or is that still is it still left open for appeal at that point? You think
1: most policies will have a final sign-off where you have to agree this is my final settlement. Mm -hmm. So as long as you don't sign a piece of paper saying this is my final settlement and I agree to it, you can continue to disagree with them. Mm -hmm. So don't just accept the check without reading what you're signing. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to what you're doing. Legally, I should tell you I'm not a lawyer, so seek professional advice.
0: Okay and then another thing that from memory and having lived here a large part of my life as well remember after Katrina one of the big stories that was going on with people sort of trying to rebuild and and deal with the resources that were provided was this difference between flood insurance and what was going to be covered there and what your homeowner's insurance would cover you can call hurricane insurance that's what damaged your house in your opinion and we saw that there were significant Issues with people just trying to repair their home and trying to navigate what was flood damage, what was hurricane. Everything's different in every different emergency, but with this one, with Hurricane Ida, that passed at the end of August, have you seen much, or what what should people be aware of if they're sort of feeling between the two? Coverages of insurance, is there anything special they need to know about getting the right company to pay for the damages?
1: The main thing to know is that flood insurance essentially covers water coming from the ground up. So the lake overflowing, ditches overflowing, your normal homeowner's insurance would cover water coming from above. So if a tree falls through your roof, then that would normally be covered by your homeowners. If your house is flooded and a tree Falls through your roof, then your insurance company will probably try to do the best job they can to pawn it all off on flood insurance, which is issued through the federal government. You know, I had a friend and colleague in Katrina, in Chalmette, that had about 20 feet of water. She had water to the top of the first floor of her house, the roof got blown off and rain came in. So there was a big fight between who was going to pay the policy, whether it was going to be FEMA because the house was flooded or whether it was going to be her insurance carrier because the roof came out. So essentially the flood insurance is water rising and your homeowners is water falling from above.
0: Mm -hmm. So after you you deal with all of the insurance, ultimately there's going to be some money that comes to you and you've got to get some work done on the house so you can get busy living in it and get back to your life. So there's the hard work of doing what everybody in your vicinity in these types of things is going to be trying to do as well, which is I need contractors. I need people who could come in, rebuild the damaged parts of my house, fix up my property. And sometimes this comes to, you'll hear any number of stories. I'm going to do this on my own. My cousin's going to do it, or I'm going to go with this very reputable company. What do people need to know about Or or what have you seen from experience when people say, uh, I'm going to hire somebody to do this or I I might do this myself? Is there any difference in that as a property owner in a federally declared emergency zone when you're trying to, to hire somebody, any best practices, any things that they should look for when they're trying to get back on their feet?
1: I think it's very important that you realize what you do not know that being some people try to fix up things on their own because uh, to save money or whatever. Mold is very prevalent in this area because of the moisture and because uh, parts of the area were, were without electricity for a month, which uh, increased the frequency of mold growing. Sometimes people just tear out sheetrock, and then they put up new sheetrock, and they get on with their life. They don't realize that there might be mold in the insulation or in the uh, woodwork or whatever, so it's very important you pay attention. Whenever there's a disaster such as this, you have contractors come in from all over the country. The main thing you want to do is make sure you have licensed and insured contractors, and although it might be a little discriminatory, I think you should use local contractors as much as you can because a year from now, two years from now, if there's some issue with the quality of the construction or reconstruction that went on, you want to be able to get in touch with the people. If they're from Arizona or New York or Illinois or whatever, it's going to be hard to run them down and get them to fix whatever the problem is. So I think it's important to use license-insured local contractors.
0: Okay. And then because it's life and because it's people, you know, everybody was in a different situation walking into this disaster and everybody's got a different idea of what they want to do with their property afterwards. So let's take the example of saying someone who was just planning on doing something to the home, maybe giving it, uh, you know, doing a new kitchen or doing this thing in the backyard they always planned on. Here comes Hurricane Ida, You've got all kind of damage, and now insurance money's coming in that will help you do the things that you need to do to make the house livable and get it back to its previous form. But at the same time, you're currently displaced from the home, and this I've heard from clients, I've seen it from family members going through this, they're thinking – you know, there was always this thing I wanted to do to the house, and now that I'm displaced and I'm going to be – I'm not going to be living in it, what what better time than now to do it? And the issue is a lot of times the insurance money is not covering that, so – at this moment, while we're in a disaster, and if you're thinking you need extra money to sort of round out the things that you're going to get done to the house as a form of repair, what do people need to know? And and this might be going back to the drawing board because a lot of it is, or going back to basics, you're getting calls like sort of saying, OK, since we're going to do this, we always want to do the kitchen. I need some extra money. How am I going to get it? And, the, and they're dealing with some of the normal options that you'd have available for you on any given day, right? What cash you have available. People are asking about doing loans about against their retirement plans. People are asking about, hey, can I take this out for a short amount of time and get it back? Or is there some other thing available to me, just as things are right now with rates, that, that maybe I can get financing for these things and, and it's a better deal? So if someone is trying to incorporate maybe a more personal renovation while they're getting their house built back or or just recovering from damages? Where would people go? What do they think about knowing when they're trying to make that decision?
1: Well, generally, Jesse, they review all of those options. The purpose of insurance is simply to put you back into the position you were in prior to the storm. So any renovations are your personal choices and therefore your personal expenses. Obviously, if you have cash available, that's the most effective way to Pay for it. If not, if you have equity in your home, you can get a home equity loan. Also, the federal government offers disaster loans with very favorable terms. I would, although it is possible to borrow money from your retirement plan at work. I would strongly discourage that for a couple reasons. One, different plans have different rules, some of which will not allow you to put additional money in until a debt is paid off. If you take money out once, it's a temptation to do it again in the future. The purpose of retirement is for retirement not to save you in an emergency or a a decision to renovate. Regardless, interest rates in general are low at this Part of the interest rate cycle. If you're making a long-term improvement to your home, you should make a long-term loan. So that would be what I would recommend you do. I would encourage you to look at all the sources available, including federally granted disaster loans.
0: Yeah. And the internet's a great resource for a lot of these. It, when we're using terms like, you know, disaster granted loans, government programs, it's going to take some research to navigate if your specific situation, if you fall in line with some of those programs out there. But what Nolan's saying is true. Interest rates are very low right now. So if you do find yourself saying, look, I didn't pick this time to do this project, but now is clearly the time for me to do it. So what resources do I have? And, you know, you haven't thought about borrowing money, maybe Maybe in a long time, I would encourage you, sort of like Nolan said, uh, you know, if it's a long term renovation, a long term loan usually is the best way. And I think what he means by that is if you have equity in the home or if you can get a mortgage that uses the, the home as collateral because these improvements are going to the home, what better place? And we run into it a lot of times as advisors, you know, especially if you run into a client who is aggressive in paying that mortgage off or who just has a sort of mental, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but they have this thing about not wanting a debt attached to the home, completely understandable, person to person. I can understand where they come from with that. But but then when you start looking at the options and the, the low rates, the low payments that are tied to it, uh, you know, a lot of times that home loan looks pretty good. So, so don't just automatically come in with a an ultimate prejudice of, against using the home as collateral if your home's already paid off. At least explore that option if, if you're in that situation, you know, if you need to get some money out. Nolan mentioned all the drawbacks. Backs of taking money out of retirement I can echo that a lot I mean anytime we we've seen people, who had done loans, and you sort of see the effect over a long period of time. You talk about hidden numbers. That's that's one of the most hidden numbers possible because what you're doing is you're taking a portion of your money that needs to grow for a goal that you've probably set a, a standard for and, and what you expect it to do, and you're putting that money on the sidelines. Now, if that's your last resort, it's your last resort, but if you had other ways to let that thing continue for something that's really important for you and there were other options... You owe yourself the effort of going, explore all of those options to to get a true evaluation. You know, which one's better for you? Now, Nolan not only has dabbled, but has a long history of being the tax man here in Laplace. People come to him for advice. He's got a large tax practice as well as this investment practice that has spurred this Red Beans and Advice podcast. So he gets every question under the sun and not just Nolan, but any tax man will tell you when they extend a deadline, that's sort of a gift and a curse. It helps everybody <laughs> sort of have more time, take some of the pressure off of that deadline that was right in front of you. But guess what? The boogeyman of this whole tax year, it's not gone yet, right? And so we've had that Before with the pandemic, there were some lax deadlines and things got pushed back. And then there were, depending on where you lived, a few more pushbacks. And now that Hurricane Ida came in late August, we got yet another one, right? So so, and we're talking about 2020's tax year. We're still talking about dealing with the year 2020 and getting those taxes done. So if you filed an extension, you haven't done it yet. That goal line's been pushed back even further now, right? So just before we get into too much with taxes, what's the dates, Nolan? What do people need to know that still haven't filed 2020? Where are we, at least in Louisiana or affected areas, as far as you know?
1: The normal deadline is October the 15th. Without having to file any form, it's been extended to January the 2nd, 2022. Most people do not like to file one tax return a year, so I would kind of discourage you from delaying it that long because nobody's going to want to file two in the same year. Mm -hmm. The other reason you you may want to hurry up and file your return is that when you have a federally declared disaster, you can declare the loss either in the year of the actual loss or you can declare it in the year prior. So even though the hurricane occurred in 2021, it may affect your 2020 return. Mm In terms of, you know, we've talked about casualty losses, so I guess I should explain that. Under current existing law, the last time tax laws were modified from year 2018 to 2025, presuming the law doesn't change immediately, the definition of a casualty loss has been changed. In the past, it was simply a sudden and unexpected event. So as an example, I had lightning strike my office building about a month before Katrina. Because it was a business building, I can deduct the expenses. However, if I change the fact pattern and say that lightning had hit my house, I would, in the current year, under current existing tax laws, although a lightning strike is a a sudden and unexpected event, it did not occur in a, a federally declared disaster. I was the only building that got hit by lightning, so it would not be able to be deducted. This year, I've had uh, several challenges in terms of acts of God or whatever. We had purchased a townhome in Texas. We were impacted by the freeze. The utilities were, were turned off by the utility company. A pipe froze in the townhome and flooded it. The federal government did declare it a federally declared disaster. So that would qualify for a casualty loss if I was not fully reimbursed because it was a personal Residence, a secondary residence. The casualty loss caused by Hurricane Ida. My building was hit, and therefore I can deduct it just simply because it was business expense. Also, my home was hit and had a good bit of destruction including a large oak tree falling into a swimming pool and bouncing off the side of the house. I also had a LSU limo that we used for entertainment value that part of the house fell on. It was declared a total loss. And we have another vehicle that kind of got sandblasted by shingles and stuff that were flying. Now... Although those were arguably multiple events, they all were the result of the one casualty activity or the one disaster, which was Hurricane Ida. So if I am not fully reimbursed by the insurance that I have, then it would be eligible for deductibility. And again, we've been talking about Hurricane Ida, but this applies to any federally declared disaster.
0: Yeah. So and, you know, here we are, you know, we're recording a podcast in Laplace, our building, you know, for clients who might be listening or people who visited us before. Took in water and, you know, upon first glance, like Nolan mentioned, it didn't matter if water got in. It might have not looked that bad, but electricity is not in the town for a long period of time. Things aren't getting cooled off. It's summertime in Louisiana. It's specifically pretty hot. And uh, moisture is, you know, if you've never been through one of these, that's that's the hidden element, right? I mean, moisture is the thing that's going to really, the way our you know, construction's done now with drywall and things like that. That mold's going to spread, and so building's going to be gutted. We secured some space in La Place where you're hearing us live from right now. Functionally, we also have working office in Baton Rouge, and uh, we all have a home offices. So, company-wise, we're still able to get things done. And I know a lot of you know clients and friends are operating the same way it's it becomes sort of in the world of business guerrilla warfare after that you know you stay mobile, you stay nimble and you and you keep getting the job done. so for us we will have our office back in Laplace once that project gets done just wanted to fill you guys in on it. Nolan, any words of wisdom and other people who are dealing with this or any other type of disaster, it could feel really overwhelming, right? If if, if clarity and, and a time of chaos isn't their strong point, well, here comes a big challenge, right? What, what do people need to know about when they're dealing with a calamity like this?
1: Almost everything is totally out of your control. And if you're kind of a control freak, you're going to worry yourself to death or give yourself an ulcer. But the best thing you can do is to have a great outlook for the future. If I use my personal experience as an example, at my personal residence, although I did have some losses, the houses on each side of mine took in water from above because of holes in the roof and they're fighting with mold. I, at my personal residence, I didn't have any mold. I had a uh, whole house generator. So we were reasonably functional during the period when most people were out of electricity. Obviously, no internet, but we we were operational. So compared to my neighbors, I did pretty good in that regard. Although uh, we did take on water from above at the office building, we at least had a roof. We had several businesses on the street where my office is located that the entire roofs blew off. So, you know, if you compare your situation to others, I think you can always find somebody in a worse position than you are. So I would strongly encourage you to try to keep a good attitude. If you are religious, then practice your faith. If you are not, at least practice positive thinking because you have no control over the disaster. You have no control over the people who come to adjust it. You have no control over the insurance company. You just go through the procedures. You make sure you're fairly treated. If you don't feel like you're fairly treated, seek professional advice to make sure you and your family come out as... Good as you can as a result of this activity
0: real good words of wisdom there uh, stay calm if you can don't create more stress to an already stressful situation and listen if you've got the capacity and strength and you see other people struggling around lend a hand too you know so not everybody is equally as strong not everybody is as capable and if it's someone you know or care about and and you have the capacity to help why not help them you know this would be the time to do it so i want to thank nolan for you know taking the time here and covering this kind of a special issue for us because it's just right in our face, right? We can just see that's what everybody's going through right now. We really wanted to cover the topic, you know, specifically since we record this podcast in Laplace. We go to work in Laplace every day, and then, wouldn't you know it? That's exactly where you know the thing hit. So we're all dealing with it together. We'll get through it together. Any questions or emails, do call Nolan. and I would be happy to answer them for you. Okay. So signing off from this interview is Jesse and Nolan. We'll talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, or if you would like to connect with us, visit Checkswealth.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Securities offered through Cetera Financial Specialist, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. Cetera entities are under separate ownership from any other named entity.